Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I'd like to start our Bible study off with this quote. Now, listen, listen up. It's, it's an interesting quote. It says this, If you change the way you are looking at things, the things you are looking at will change. Now, think about that for just a moment. That's a, that's a powerful principle that has great potential when we apply it to our lives. You go, Ben, can you say that again? Yeah, yeah, listen. If you will change the way you are looking at things, the things you are looking at will change. And I can think of so many applications for that, but this morning I want to zero in on just one, and you go, what's that? I want to illustrate it in the life of a disciple, a disciple. I'll never forget one of the first books um, as God was calling me into the ministry and I began to have a hunger for his word and, and hunger for other books. I, I remember purchasing this book and it was a very interesting book. And the book is actually from pastor and evangelist Greg Laurie is on discipleship of all things, discipleship. And it was called, it was called Discipleship, Giving Your Best to God. Now, one of the things that stood out in this book, very small book, very easy read, but one of the things that stood out, and I've used it many, many times, and and, uh, it says this, right? Pastor Greg writes, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. And I remember reading that, and I go, what? Say that again? He, He said, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. And it really hit me. Listen, there are, there are so many people that are not really disciples of Jesus Christ. And yet, you and I this morning understand that we cannot be his disciple without being a fully devoted follower of Jesus first. And that's what he writes. So, listen, if we change the way we look at discipleship, then discipleship will change our lives. Here's what we learned so far, church. John the Baptist was a disciple. Now, listen, he wasn't one of the 12 that Jesus prayed and handpicked to walk with him for the next three years. But in every sense of the office of disciple, John the Baptist walked in it. Now, the apostle John, who's writing this book, does something very peculiar with John the Baptist. You go, what's that? If you'll notice, as as we start to look into his word, if you'll notice what he does, he does something very interesting. He strips John the Baptist of almost all the details regarding his identity and his actions, and he sort of reduces him to a flat character whose single role is simply to testify to Jesus. That's all. Kind of strips him and says, okay, this is his main thing. Now, now here's what we learned about John the Baptist. He has one single role. We call it one single focus. You go, what's that? We have learned that he is to be a witness. He's to be a witness. Now, please understand, the single trait is not a simple trait. We shall see that John is not a witness separate from any other roles. You go, what do you mean? Well, think about this. He is a witness in these roles. See, John's other roles, I mean, John was probably a great baptizer. 
He was probably a great teacher. He probably was a great evangelist when he spoke. People came and, and they accepted Christ. We know that. We know he was a teacher, a forerunner. We know that he was a lamp, he tells us. But this is not, if you will, he was not a witness. Those were not separate from his role as a witness. They actually defined his role as a witness. Now, let's be even more clear. His role as a witness has one objective, okay? You go, what's that? Well, John the Baptist's role was not simply to introduce you to Jesus, but what he wanted to do is he wanted to generate a belief in Jesus. See, a lot of times when we walk this life and we be, and we're acting like a Christian and we're follower of Jesus and, and we introduce people to Jesus, that's a good thing. But what John's main focus is that he wanted you to believe, to generate that belief, to put your faith and trust. Guys, listen, there are so many people who are introduced to Jesus every single day, but they've never taken that step of committing their life to Christ. And they'll say, man, I went to church and I raised my hand and I got the t-shirt and I'm good to go. And they say, but did you meet Jesus? I don't know. And see, John the Baptist said, no, 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 it's more than just introducing. Hey, there's Jesus. There he is. Everybody go follow him. He said, I want to generate belief in you. Belief in you. And now when it comes to John the Baptist, guys, let's keep this in mind. The gospel never mentions the content of John's teaching, except that it appears to be in the content of his testimony. If you recall, our courtroom setting, John the Apostle says, I call to the stand, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes up, right? Bug-eating, camel-hair-wearing kind of guy sits down and he gives his testimony, right? And he goes, well, Tell us your testimony. And John the Baptist opens up with what? Well, I was being interrogated. You want to know how my ministry started? I remember a time when I was being interrogated. The Jewish Sanhedrin sent some folks over, and they kept asking me, who are you? And I told them the truth. I told them I was not the Christ. And they said, well, who are you? You must be Elijah. I'm not Elijah. Well, then you must be the prophet. He says, no, I'm not. I'm simply a voice crying in the wilderness. And they crossed their arms, and they looked at me and said, who are you? And they wouldn't leave me alone. They wouldn't leave me alone. It was such an interesting interrogation. So John the Baptist starts his testimony. He goes, well, let me tell you who I, I really am, right? Now, his testimony doesn't go, you know, I used to teach to thousands and thousands of Jews. We'd gather together, called it Calvary Chapel of Jerusalem, brought it in. And so no, he doesn't say anything about his teachings, right? In the word of God. But here's what he does. He does include his assertions. You go, like what? John reminded the people and us, number one, if you're taking note, he says, let me remind you that Jesus, church, is more important than me. He gives us that first assertion, right? You go in what? Well, in verse 15, 27, and 30. Now, why is that important? Because over in Romans, we grasp that man has the ability to do something very interesting in his heart. You go, what's that? It's to reverse the creative order. You mean to reverse it? We begin to worship creation and creatures rather than the creator himself. We reverse that. And so man has the innate ability to go, okay, Jesus, I know you're on the throne, but I'm going to pull you down and I'll put myself up there or anything else. And then, and then I'm just going to call it good. Well, John realizes, no, 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 no. See, I know man has the ability to do that, but let me assert this. Jesus is more important than any of that. Jesus is more important than any of that. And he gives us that. 
Number two, he reminds us that John the Baptist was not a major end times figure. A lot of people were looking, figuring the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set up his what? He's going to set up his throne and he's going to just finally put an end to Rome. And then we're going to just every, but to them, that was the end times. Well, of course, 2000 years removed, we're still here. And we realize that he was not a major end times figure. You go, how so? Well, in verse 20 of chapter one, he says, he confessed and did not deny. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you the prophet that Deuteronomy talked about? And he said, no. So he wasn't an end times figure, but he got that. Number three, he goes, well, let me tell you who I am. He, he goes, I'm a prophetic voice announcing the coming of the Messiah. That's who he is, the prophetic voice. Now, catch this, guys. Here's what makes me smile. We have that same voice today. Oh, oh, okay. See, see, when John was little, he was six months older than his cousin. Jesus, right? And so he was just, he was the herald. He was announcing, Jesus, the Messiah is coming. Here he comes. Here he comes, man. Look, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Well, Jesus came as a baby in a manger. We know that. We know he grew up. We know as a little boy, 12 years old. Then we know that he started his ministry at the age of 30. But we know this for you and I, guys. He's coming back again, but not as a baby, but as a king. And it's our job, guys, much to fill the role of John the Baptist, is to herald, that's coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming back soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? See, the enemy wants to come and completely fool us that we're ready when we know we're not. Oh, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Listen, listen, you, you, you prayed a prayer. Back in a little, you just prayed a prayer, you're saved, and, and we've never had that encounter with God, and so we're, we're fooling ourselves, and we have to herald the fact, Jesus is coming, are you really ready? Nothing would make me sadder in the whole world to know that, that the church that God put me over, the shepherd, there were people in my church that, that didn't know Jesus. You go, why would that make you sad, Ben? Because up here I'm preaching my heart out, and I'm begging God, please save your people. It's not about building Calvary Chapel. It's about building his kingdom. Listen, I want to see you in heaven. I want to walk with you in the streets of gold. I want to know that you're saved. And it breaks my heart that there are people sitting in churches week after week, and they're just going through the motions. Oh, went to church. (sighs) Saw Bill there. Yep, went to lunch. And they never meet Jesus. Never meet Jesus, guys. We have a voice. We have a voice. The world yells us and says, what? Quit, quit being so radical, man. Quit being so radical. Calm down, everyone. Take a breath. We know Jesus coming back, but don't... No, 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 listen. Listen, we need to stop being politically correct, if you will, and just tell people about Jesus. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. What what happens when you say, hey, listen, Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows the day or the hour. I'm not arguing that. I'm just telling you, get ready. People, get ready. Get ready. Because one day, we're going to be busy. And we're going to be walking. We're going to be doing our own thing. We're going to be having a great time. Why? Because we no longer exist in the Lord. We live in the Lord. We're going to have a great time. And then we're going to hear this trumpet sound. It's going to be most amazing. It's going to go beyond our ears, into our heart. And then we're going to be going, he's coming. He's coming. I'll never forget that dream I had the other night. I remember turning the corner, the clouds started rolling, and I saw a bright light to the east, and the only thing I could say in my dream is, Jesus is coming. 
Jesus is coming. That's what John's doing. That's what John's doing. Number four, he reminds us that, the, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wants to remind us who he is. He reminds us that Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Messiah in verse 32. Don't forget he's the Messiah. In verse 34, number seven, Jesus is the Son of God, the Chosen One. And then, guys, later on in chapter three, we discover a couple more truths or a couple more traits of a good witness or disciple. You go, what's that? That Jesus is the bridegroom while John is simply the best man. Everybody got that? Why is that important? I've never been to a wedding where the focus has been on the best man other than the bride and the groom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You go to get your photo album from your photographer and you see all these pictures of the best man. Well, why is he there? Could you imagine if there you are, you and your bride, and you're so excited, you're married, and he's like, hey, could you move over there? Let me take a picture of the best man. Nobody would do that, right? That's crazy. And that's exactly what John is telling you. He says, listen, it's not about me. He's the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. And what does the best man do? He stands off to the corner, and he just serves. He just serves, guys. And then he reminds us in verse 30 of chapter 3, we'll get to it in a few weeks, Jesus must increase and we must decrease. That's a good trait, some good traits of a disciple. The one thing, guys, that we can learn about John the Baptist is, number one, he was a good witness and he was a good disciple, a good witness and a good disciple. So we need to ask this question, right? It's the title of the message. What does it mean to be his disciple? What does it really mean? Because there's a lot of us going, I'm a believer, but I'm, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm a disciple. I'm not sure I'm really a disciple. I'm a believer. I love him. I'm, I'm working. And so we need to answer that question. Well, in order, to under, in order to answer it, we need to understand it, right? What does it mean to be his disciple? Well, let me back up just a minute, okay? Because remember, a couple of weeks ago, we, we said this, we, we basically broke down what it means to be a witness. And then here's what we said. We discovered that a witness was not something we do, but something we are every single day. Okay? What do you mean by that? Guys, I don't get everybody together. Hey, holy huddle, holy huddle. Okay. Here's what we do. We're going to go. Everybody ready? Ready? Okay. We're going out witnessing and we're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going out. Okay. Give me one, two, three, break. And we go out and that's what we do. That's not what a witness is. A witness is who we are every single day as a witness. You go, but what's a disciple? Well, a disciple, if you're taking note, guys, in the Greek, it means devoted ones, devoted ones. And the implication is clear. Okay. If you were to go back to the, to the time of Jesus, here's what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. It meant that you were basically to serve your disciple-er. You were there to serve him. You go, what do you mean? Much like a slave would serve a master. You would do everything. A slave would, I mean, for a disciple, you might clear the road as he walked. You might run and get food for the group. Whatever he asked you to do, except one thing. There's one thing a disciplee would never do for a disciple, and that was to untie his shoes, to unloose his sandal straps. And John the Baptist, you remember last week, he goes, oh, there's Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to do that. 
Well, you would be a disciple You would serve, and you would, whatever they needed, you were always going, okay, what do you need? What do you need? And in return, guys, the discipler would feed you, and he would clothe you, and he would teach you all that he knew, and he would just pour into you and pour into you and pour into you. And the, and, and the, and the good news is that the disciple would never, ever grow too, too much to go, I don't need you. They were always constantly learning, constantly learning. Here's just an interesting side note. Did you know that the Pharisees actually had disciples too? As a matter of fact, to become a Pharisee, you actually had to be taught by a Pharisee. And they had disciples. Well, here's my point, guys. John the Baptist, guys, was a disciple, obviously, not one of the 12, but he also had disciples. So to quote Pastor Greg Laurie, on discipleship, giving our best to God, here's what we're going to do. Let's look at seven characteristics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Seven real characteristics. And, and here's what I'd like for you to do. Guys, mirror them in your heart. Are these in my life? I, want, I'm, I know I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I'm a believer, but am I a, a disciple? And I want these seven characteristics we find in the Word of God. Are they in my heart? So, picking it up in verse 35, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to break down the verse, and then we'll pull out its application, and then I'll give you the characteristic, okay? So, John chapter 1, 35 and 36. Again, right, John the Baptist is on the stand. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, we're talking about John the Baptist. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist had already said this back in verse 29. We saw that last week, right? And so I thought, did he say this every time he saw Jesus? <laughs> Can you imagine? Behold the Lamb of God. Hey, there's the Lamb of God. I just wonder if he did. But we know he said it before. Now, to you and I, when we say Jesus is the Lamb of God, it doesn't really, give, it doesn't really impact us like it would them. And you go, Why? Well, let's talk about Jesus for just a moment. Did you know that when John would herald, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it would be a vivid reminder of Jesus' destiny to the cross. Jesus would smile and go, Yeah. Why? Because he knows that everything is going to end up where? At the cross. Can you imagine, there you are with your posse and you're gathering your disciples and John's like, hey, behold the Lamb of God. And you're like, John, I know, I'm going to the cross. I get it. I get it. And that's basically was a vivid reminder. Well, we can see just from observation, guys, that John stood there with his disciples. Okay, we know that John had disciples. And then Jesus comes by and he says, behold the Lamb of God. Now, if you're taking note, characteristics one and two are found in verse 36. Number one, first characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. You ready? We must, we must, we must be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's the very first thing. You go, Ben, that's Captain Obvious, man. No, 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 look. There's John the Baptist. He sees who? And looking at Jesus. And that's so important. Why? Why? Because there's so many people following a denomination, or they're following a pastor, or a priest, or a church, or they're following spirituality. 
Did you realize in our day and age that we are probably at the peak of being really, really spiritual? Now, I'm not saying Christianity. I'm saying just spiritual. Again, people are hungry for something other than what they see in the world. And so what happens? Guys, it it tells us right there that it was none other than Jesus. You see, Jesus is the code of behavior, and he's the code of honor. Now, remember... Being a disciple or the definition of disciple means a devoted one. And so for you and I, we must possess a heart of devotion to Jesus and only Jesus forsaking all others. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must have a heart devoted for Christ. Nothing else. You go, what do you mean? Well, remember Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and 3. Where the Lord says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. If you look up that word before in the Hebrew, it actually means in my face. You shall have no other gods face to face. And the problem is, guys, is, is our hearts, they really are idle factories. And there's a lot of times when we'll go and we'll go, okay, so I'm going to be a fully devoted follower. And then we just kind of leave it at that. And so to be a good disciple, you go, I need to be a fully, what? I need to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Fully devoted. Number two, second characteristic of a disciple of Jesus, if you're taking note, that you fully understand him and walk with him as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. See, John points out, behold, the Lamb of God. Now listen, listen, church. Unless we understand the whole sacrificial system of the atonement of sin, we'll miss that God sent his own sacrifice for our sin. Okay? So, back before as Jesus came, here's what would happen. Every one of us, guys, would take a little lamb to offer as a sacrifice to atone, to cover our sin. It never took it away. Okay, and so you and I would get a lamb and we'd carry it, right? We'd raise it up, make sure it didn't have any blemishes or any spots or anything. And we'd take our little lamb, right? We'd take it to the priest, we'd hand it, and that would be our atonement. We would be covered till the next time we sinned, which is a real bummer. Because if you had atonement, you're like, okay, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. Now I'm dirty. Oh, I can't believe that, right? Because that's how fast we sin at times. It was just a covering. Well, they did that all the way, right? A lot of them said, okay, it usually lasted about a year, a covering, right? And then you came with all your sins and you'd offer a sacrifice. Now, understand, guys, understand that. Get this. For us to be a good disciple, we need to understand that he is the Lamb of God that takes away all of our sin. We need to understand that. And you go, well, give me your point, Pastor. Here's my point. As I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the Lamb of God, here's a couple of things that I would think about, okay? Let's just say that you you had a little of attachment towards the Lamb, okay? Sometimes we do. It's like, oh, I raised it. It's my pet, but I know it's, it's offered for a sacrifice, but I still, you know, I still like my little pet Lamb, and that would be hard for you to give up. I mean, because you, you knew him, right? You talked to your pet. You talked to your Lamb, right? It might be hard to go, oh, well, I know, but at the end of the day, it's still a pet, And it's a little easier. And so think about this. Think about this. God said, okay, what is the best way 
to reach mankind? How can I understand them and how can I provide a sacrifice? Well, the best way to reach mankind is to become a man so I know them and then I would be considered God's sacrificial lamb to save man. Up until this point, it's just been a lamb. And now he says, this is the lamb of God. Well, here's my point. In our day and age, church, if we can be honest, there's, a, there's, there's people who know a lot about Jesus. Amen? They know a lot about him. They actually intellectually know how to be saved. They could even hang out with Christians and have a good time. But in reality, they've never really surrendered to him at all as the Lamb of God. They've never surrendered. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? They may have, at one point, church, listen, made a choice to do better or to live better, but they've never surrendered to him at all. Can you explain that real quick? Listen, there's a lot of times, guys, when we come with all of our problems, sometimes our life is a mess and it's falling apart, and we'll have somebody go, hey, you know what you need? You need Jesus. I need Jesus. (laughs) Right? And what happens is we come to him and we say, okay, I accepted him. I'm going to do better. And we've made a choice to modify our behavior based on our circumstances. And then we go, okay, okay, I feel better. And then when circumstances get better, we tend to walk away from him because things hadn't changed in our hearts. We just made a choice to do better. We made a choice to be a little bit more nicer to people. We've made a choice to not cuss. We've made a choice to not drink. We, whatever choice it might be. But the point is, is that you've missed the Lamb of God because we've modified our behavior in hopes that it would relieve the pain of our circumstances. And when the pain of our circumstances go away, then we're back to doing what we used to do. There's a problem with that, church. You go, what's that? Well, we have the T-shirt and we have the label called Christian, but we're not really followers of Jesus. We've missed it. We've learned the lingo. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And what what we need to understand is the disciple goes, no, no, no. A, A disciple is, listen, here's the character. I know Jesus is the Lamb of God. He sacrificed for my sin. My sin. Well, it goes on in verse 37. Notice what it says, verse 37 of chapter 1. The the two disciples heard him speak, heard John the Baptist speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, listen, this verse is key for our lives. You go, why? Number one, understand that Jesus or John the Baptist had disciples, okay? He had disciples. He had, uh, that's that's how he did it. Now, listen, John did not care about gathering disciples after himself, he was perfectly satisfied with to have these disciples leave his circle and follow Jesus. Why? It fulfilled his ministry. He didn't take it away. Here's what I want you to see. A lot of times when we start gathering friends and disciples to ourselves, we go, okay, I don't, don't go over there. Don't go with that guy. You stay, stay with me. Stay with me. Everybody stay with me. And John's like, no, no, no. That's Jesus. Follow him. So we know he had disciples, and we know it fulfilled his ministry, and we know that two of them at least said, we're going to follow Jesus. 
We're going to follow Jesus. It's amazing. You go, why? Well, jot this down. Third characteristic, guys, of a disciple of Jesus. You ready? I'm always speaking and pointing to Jesus. Always. That's where it goes to. I got to tell you about Jesus. I got to tell you about Jesus. Here's my hope, guys. My voice and my life point people to Jesus. My voice and my life. You go, what do you mean? Guys, listen, the way I live, I want it pointed to Jesus. Well, you're the pastor. No, 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 all of us. The way we live, the way we breathe, the way we walk, the way we talk, guys, how we, now listen, how we repent and ask for forgiveness. Why? Because listen, we're good at saying sorry, but, but really what points to Jesus is goes, wow, wow. See, listen, here's my hope. My life will speak more about Jesus than it does about Ben. That's what I want. That my life would just, 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 just reflect God more than me. Oh, listen, I want y'all to like me, but I need you to believe in Jesus. I want to be your friends, but at the end of the day, I can't save you, and you can't save me. And so our lives have to reflect Jesus. Listen, church, I've run into so many people over the years who will defend tooth and nail the church they belong to or the denomination they belong to but they'll seldom, seldom, seldom point people to Jesus. That's not what we do here. That's not what we do here. Why? It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about following Christ with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Now, here's what I want you to know, okay? Here's something very interesting. John says, there's, there's, behold, the Lamb of God, his new disciples go, that's him. And they leave John and they follow Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to write down. It cost him something. As a disciple, it will always cost you something. Why? They, they left him to follow Jesus. And when you point people to Jesus, it will always cost you something, church. When you disciple others and point them to Jesus, it will cost you. But we don't look at the cost, do we? We don't go, oh, man, that's two of my disciples, you know. Those are the best guys I had. Oh. Mm. John was like, listen, I know it cost me, but they need to follow Jesus. Notice it says, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. You guys see that in verse 37? If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word for followed. It means physically from a distance and spiritually it means devoted. So when they saw Jesus, they actually physically followed him at a distance. They're behind him. Hey, there's Jesus. Hey, come on. Right? But spiritually, they're getting ready to be devoted. Listen to me. That's a work of God's spirit. God will begin working in your heart way before you physically start following him. They're already knowing, right? They're already going, hey, why? Well, isn't that what John was been preparing them? Hey, guys, come on. Anybody want some bug soup? What? Listen, I want to tell you about Jesus. Where is he? He's coming. He's coming. Let me tell you about him. And he begins, I mean, think about it. 
God was always already, listen, this is for somebody here. God is already preparing their heart before the ministry had even started. Before your witness has already started. God has already prepared somebody's heart for you to talk to them at work. That's what I love about witnessing. You just walk in Jesus and God's already prepared their heart, right? And so when you go, hey, can I introduce you to Jesus? Yes. God is already working. God's already working. So what happens? Look at verse 38, guys. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, right? Right now he's just a teacher. They asked him, where are you staying? And I think, wow, isn't that an amazing question today? Right? And you got to ask, what, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, what do you seek? What are you, what are you guys looking for? And here's the question for us. Why are you following Jesus? Why are you a Christian? Why are you here on Sunday morning? Why are you here coming to get God's word? What are you looking for? And I love that. Because it gives us an opportunity to check our own hearts. But I love the fact, this, guys, that, that when Jesus asks, what are you looking for? A lot of times we feel like it's a, it's a harsh, like, like these guys are behind him and Jesus is like, What? You know, why are you following me or whatever it might be? It's not. He's just, I, I lo- check it out, check it out. Listen, this was not asked to obtain information. He wasn't going like, what? Tell me who you are. Where do your parents live? Are you from Goodstock? Did you go to school? Did you go to seminary? Because I can't have you if you didn't go to Sam. He didn't. Basically, he wasn't harsh. He wasn't reproof, forbidding them to follow him. It was, listen, it was a kind inquire respecting their desires, an invitation to lay open their minds and state their wishes. And I'm just like, wow. You go, why is that so impactful? Listen, church, because today the Lord Jesus is asking you, what do you want? What do you seek? And he's inviting you to tell him the truth. And some of us go, Lord, I need healing. Some of us go, Lord, my, 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 my parents are getting old. Some of us go, Lord, my kids Listen, Jesus is coming and he's asking us and he's bidding us to ask him those things we need. And we're saying, Lord, I've got issues. I'm a mess. Please help me. I was driving here this morning and, and obviously the Lord is working in my heart and I hope he's working in your heart. And I was going, God, but that, but, but that hurts. And he goes, Ben, I know, but part of this growth is going to set you free in the long run. And I'm able to ask him, just like, well, Ben, what are you seeking? Lord, I, I, I've got to grow more. I want to be more like you. I want to walk in you. I was thinking of Solomon. You guys remember Solomon? Do you remember when the Lord came to Solomon and asked him, what do you want? And, and what did Solomon say? He says, I want to have the wisdom to rule your people. Now, let me, sh- I mean, I've read the, end- the other end of the story, right? And God's like, since you asked for, since you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you riches and glory and the whole nine yards. You know, listen, I'm driving. Let's be honest, right? If the Lord came and asked you, what do you want? I think my corrupted heart, hashtag real talk, right? I think I would ask for riches and money and, and power and fame. Well, Lord, can I, can we just have a bigger church? Can we just have like, can we just buy a, a building? Lord, can, can I have like a million dollars in the bank? I mean, there'd be all these things, and Solomon asked for wisdom, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to have that pure heart to ask for wisdom. Why? 
because I'm a shepherd of the people. And I want to have the wisdom to be able to shepherd people. But it's, it's one of those things where we go, okay, it's part of that growth, right? But I love the fact that Jesus asked me to go ahead and ask him. He's not mad at me. He's not going, yeah, here's what we think. Let's be honest. Here's what we think. When we ask God something, we think he's that parent that crosses his arm and says, ask me again. One more time. He doesn't do that, right? Or he doesn't bring up our past. Well, remember what you did yesterday? Remember what you did six months ago and you want to ask me that now? Huh? Well, you should have been asking that six months. That's how we put it all in perspective, and that's not who God is. Jesus with open arms says, tell me, I'm, I'm here to heal you. That's why I love that song that we sang. He's here to heal us, and so we can walk, and we can grow. That's what it's about. Fourth characteristic, guys. Fourth characteristic of a disciple of Jesus is found here. You go, what's that? We have pure motives for following Jesus. Pure motives. With sincere hearts and inquiring minds, we seek God who's, we seek the God who's been pursuing us, and when we find him, we follow him with pure motives. You go, what do you mean? We don't follow him. Listen, we follow God not for his stuff, but we follow God for himself. That's so, so key. Listen, because when, when life gets really, really hard, church, listen to me. You've got to lean on Jesus. And we don't follow him because, Lord, you have a lot of stuff and I want your stuff. And let me bargain. Let me bargain with you, God. Let me bargain. Listen, Lord, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, one of your, I'll be one of your guys. Listen, and, if you, and, and Lord, if I can be on your team, I'll be the point guard and I'll be, I'll be the superstar on your team, God, and I'll go out and I'll witness and I'll be, I'll, and, and Lord, and, and if I do that, then I need you to do this, this, this. We don't bargain with God, do we? We say, Lord, I'm here and I'm humbled and, and, um, and when life gets really rough, When it's not, when it's no longer sunshine and butterflies and that we can say, God, I still have Jesus. Because we're following him with a pure motive, a pure motive. And so what did Jesus say? Look at verse 39. And Jesus, he said to them, come and see. Right? Jesus says, come and see. And they came and saw where he was standing and they remained with him that day, and it was about the 10th hour, so about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So they were with Jesus the whole, the whole time. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I mean, check it out, guys. Wow. There's a lot going on here. Jesus, where are you going? What do you seek? Where are you staying, Jesus? Come and see. Come, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Out. Do you realize that Jesus wants to hang out with you? Not me. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And he invited John and Andrew to be part of his life. He does the same today. You want to be his disciple, he's going to invite you. Hey, Jesus, where are you staying? Come on. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. Now, here's what I want you to know. I want you to note the importance of spending time with Jesus as they remained with him a whole day. So, the fifth characteristic, guys, of a disciple of Jesus, you ready? We have a heart to spend time with Jesus. We have a heart to spend time with Jesus. And here, let me say this, okay? Not done out of duty, 
but a desire. I got saved and now I have to, I have to hang out with God. Okay. Honey, I have my quiet time now. I'm going to go in room. Well, honey, why are you having your quiet? Because I have to. I mean, that's what Christians do. That's not what God wants, does he? He he wants us to have a heart. A disciple goes, I want to spend time with him. I want to spend time with him. The problem is, church, let's be honest, we have so many things in our lives doing what? Trying to vie for that position in that time. So many things. I'm going to spend time. You know, try it. Try it. Get up tomorrow morning a little bit earlier and spend time with Jesus and see if everything doesn't go wrong. Your kid who sleeps through an earthquake will wake up when you wake up to spend time with Jesus. And they'll come walking in, oh, it's cereal, you know, and you're just like, I just got up to spend. That's exactly it. Why? Because, again, the enemy knows that there's an importance and we have to have a heart to spend time with Jesus. What should we do? And think about it. Learning, growing, just at the feet of the master. I want to know what he says about me. I want to spend time with him. Well, Andrew, guys, check it out. Andrew became Jesus' disciple, and the dude had a brother named Simon, right? We know him as Peter, but check this out. Simon, in the Greek, actually means pebbles. That's what it means, right? Shifting sand pebbles, right? And I guess you didn't know this, but did you know that they used to nickname Andrew Bam Bam? That's what they used to do. So you had pebbles and Bam Bam. Nobody? One? That's not the truth, okay? I just want to make sure that you're awake. I want to make sure that you're like still with me. (laughs) Andrew wasn't Bam Bam. Anybody grew up on the Flintstones, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're just like, faster, that bombed. I was like, you weren't listening. Let me try again. So he found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, Simon, you, Simon, son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas, which, which is translated as stone. Now, here, let, let's chat with this, okay? The nature of the Christian experience is that those who enjoy the experience desire to share their experience with others. And that's really what he's doing, right? He's going, are you kidding me? Andrew goes, it's Jesus. And what's the first thing he thinks? I got to tell Peter. I got to tell Peter. I got to go find, I got to find Simon. Simon, Simon, we found you. Come on with me. That's what Christian. That's what Christianity is all about, guys. When you get saved and you get fired up, and I mean, think about it. Go back to the days when you first got saved. Do you guys remember carrying your big, big Bible the size of a coffee table? You're like, I just got saved. What's that? It's my Bible. Poof. Right? You had the Walkman, right? You had this big old Walkman on the side of yours like, what are you listening to? Worship. I just got saved. Do you guys remember that? Now, obviously I'm being silly, but the thing about it is that, is that think about when you first got saved and how amazing you want to tell everybody. The problem is, is that a lot of people didn't receive it and you step back and you step back and you step back and now you shut down and you're just like, I'm not going to tell people about Jesus. They reject it. Well, they didn't reject you. They're rejecting him. We still got to be fired up and go, okay, I can tell people about Jesus, right? Simon, guess what? Come on, right? Jesus sees Peter and he goes, hey, listen, you're Simon. And I'd be like, yeah. He says, man, listen. 
You're not going to be called Simon anymore. You're going to be called Cephas. What is he saying? Listen, he says, you're not going to be pebbles anymore. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a rock. I'm just like, wow. So Peter goes from pebbles. Peter goes from shifting sand, unstable, to the rock. Only Jesus can do that. If you're looking for your heart to be transformed from where you are to where you want to be, it's, uh, it's got to be a work of Jesus. Peter, there's no way that Peter, pebbles, shifting sand, unstable, could have made that transition without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so that's exactly where he went to. This transformation came only through following Christ. Now, we're about to close, but let me give you this thought real quick before we close. Do you realize that the text never says that Peter followed Jesus? But of course, we know he does. Why? Because Jesus knows even before a commitment is made who will truly follow him and who will not. Pastor, your point? Guys, you'll often hear me at the end of the service give an altar call. And you'll say, hey, how many of you want to follow Jesus? How many of you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus? And then oftentimes I'll have you come up and stand right here and make a commitment. But you'll hear me say this every time. Listen, words alone aren't sufficient to save. And the reason why is that we can just say these words and, and, and thinking we're saved. And here's the last thing I want. The last thing I want is somebody to stand right here, pray a prayer and think they're saved and go out and live and just say, well, Pastor Ben said I was saved. I went to Calvary that one time and I got saved. Words alone aren't sufficient to save. Why? Christ already knows what's in your heart. Even before you make that commitment to follow him. And that's what he does with Peter. Now listen, let me give you the last two characteristics as we close. Okay? We're going to close our Bible study. Let me give you the sixth one. Six characteristics of a disciple of Jesus, guys. The fruit of our lives will be to tell others. We saw that with Andrew. The fruit of our lives will be to tell others. Why? Andrew says, guys, found the Messiah. We found him. Come, come and see. We found the Messiah. You know what Andrew's testimony is? We know John the Baptist's testimony, but you know what Andrew's is? Andrew says, we already found the Messiah. You need to come and see him. You need to come and see Peter. He found his bro right away and said, come on, come on. And I think, guys, by natural means, we should be telling others about the one who created us, who saved us, and who walks with us daily. And it's basically, we just can't help ourselves. Now, listen, you may start a conversation about the Cowboys and their season this year, but it'll always end up you telling people about Jesus. That's how it is. It's natural. You're not going, okay, I'm going to talk to you about, and then, and then you say something, you, you just automatically start telling. That's what he says. The fruit of our lives will be to tell others. Seventh characteristic, seventh characteristic of a disciple. We will live the way Jesus sees us. See, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You're shifting sand. You're pebbles. He says, not no more. You know how I see you, Peter? You're stone. You're a rock. You're a rock. Church, we have three choices on how we live. 
Listen to me. This is important. We can live the way the world sees us. The world is cruel. The world never tells you the truth, and you can live that way. Hey, you're, even if you're successful, there's always somebody trying to knock you down. You can live that way. Or you can live the way you see yourself with all your hurts and all your failures, and you can live that way. Or you can live the way Jesus sees you right now. You can live the way Jesus sees you right now with a future and a hope. And listen, today, you might feel like a pebble, but God sees you as a rock. And we need to live the way God sees us. I want to close with this story, guys. Story goes that there's a father who had two daughters. The younger daughter was very pretty, and the older one was what our society would call a reject or a loser. Her father had determined that he only expected to receive two cows for his older daughter. And if the suitor was a good bargainer, he was willing to let her go for only one cow. The truth is, the old dad was willing to rid himself of the burden of having to feed her all her life with no cows at all. When Johnny Lingo, the richest man on the island, came to his home, there was no doubt he had come to see the younger daughter. And yet everyone was stunned when he called on the older daughter. Dad was overjoyed. Since Johnny was the wealthiest man known to be very generous, old dad to expect him to pay at least three cows, maybe even four. And can you imagine his utter shock when Johnny came to claim his bride and bought, brought ten cows with him? Old dad almost had a heart attack. He quickly called the tribal chief to perform the ceremony before Johnny could change his mind. And then it was the custom for the honeymoon to last one year. However, with a 10-cow bride, you do not take a three-cow honeymoon. So two years later, the couple was welcomed back with great excitement. The groom was instantly recognized by a lookout. But the bride had changed dramatically. And he did not recognize her at first. Instead of a shy and homely girl, she was now beautiful and confident young lady. Her charm was so great that some thought Johnny had gotten a bargain by only paying 10 cows. She was a 10-cow woman. And that's how she behaved. We need to live how God sees us. Guys, you're not a you're you're not a ten cow bride. You're the bride of Christ. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to pay the price for you. You're not a ten cow bride, you're a one Christ bride. And he says, Live that way. You're no longer shifting sand, you're no longer stay unstable. You're a rock. You're a rock. Now remember, church, if you change the way you are looking at things, the things you are looking at will change. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. So Lord, we thank you this morning that you came and you died for us.
you offer to offer peace and hope. Father, it's not enough that we that we show up to a place we call church if you're not here. And Father, my prayer is that we would all desire to be your disciple. My prayer, God, is that every one of us have had an encounter with Christ. And God, I pray that if if there's anybody here this morning that hasn't, hasn't surrendered to you, that your spirit is working right now and they're willing to do it this morning. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender my life completely, wholeheartedly, 100%. I don't just want to be a believer, Pastor. I want to be a disciple. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you want to this morning, here's what I would ask you to do. I'd ask you to simply raise your hand. Well, Pastor, why do I have to raise my hand? Because I want God to see your heart. No one else is going to see you, but it's you. It's you going, hey, Pastor, I want, I want to be right with God. I want to know that I'm, I'm free and I'm forgiven. And then I want to start walking in him. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that and you want to do that this morning, this is a safe place for you to surrender to God. All you have to do is simply lift your hand and say, I, I want to change with God. I, I want an encounter. And you can just lift up your hand right now, and God will see your heart. Is there anyone? Right now, listen to that voice, guys. Listen to that voice. That's gently knocking. You go, Pastor, I, I think I, I've, been, I've been walking with God, I think, for a long time, but I've never had this encounter. Maybe today's the day you go, I, I need something. I need something right now. Don't let the moment pass, guys. Don't let the moment pass. I want to pray for you. So just simply lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Father, we thank you, God. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your love today. Thank you, God, that, that you save us and that we're followers of you. God, take this message and put it in the hearts of your people so that we're talking about it today, tonight, tomorrow, all week long. We're we're disciples of Jesus. In his beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone 
at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.